Let's turn our attention to the Word. I'm going to ask Stephanie to read uh, uh, Jeremiah 15:10 through the end of the chapter. Please follow along in your Bible, and we're going to get into God's Word today. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and as she reads, Elton's going to be bringing Bibles around. All right, Jeremiah 15, 10 through 21. Woe is me, my, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. The Lord said, have I not set you free for their good? Have I not pleaded for you before the enemy in, thine, of, in time of trouble and in time of distress? Can one break iron, iron from the north and bronze? Your wealth and your treasures I will give as spoil without price for all your sins throughout all your territory. I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger, a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. O Lord, you know, remember and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake, I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name. O Lord, God of hosts, I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Therefore, thus said the Lord, if you return, I will restore you and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth, they shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. It's a reading of God's word. Thank you. I want to speak to you this morning on this topic, spiritual burnout. Spiritual burnout. Let's pray and ask God for his help. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be here present today, uh, to be with one another, and therefore, in this gathering, as we are founded on the Word, to experience the very presence of Jesus Christ. We pray that we will experience Christ this morning. We pray that the Holy Spirit will give us comfort and power as we understand these truths. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you today on this theme, spiritual burnout. Burnout uh, is something that could be defined as collapse from overwork or stress. Burnout. How many of you have ever used the word burnout? All right, almost everybody. That would have been my guess. So if I talk about burnout today, now you know I'm not talking to you because we just all raised our hand, all right? <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many times people come up to me and say, were you talking about me? <laughs> Look. Everybody's a sinner, all right? So yes, I was, but not just you. <laughs> Me too. I want to talk specifically, though, on this, this idea of spiritual burnout. 
What I mean by that is this. God has given us a call. Don't be mistaken. If you are a Christian, you are called by God. Now, I don't necessarily mean you are called to pastor a church or to work on staff for a Christian organization. I think there are specific vocational callings that we could talk about. But I'm talking about, generally speaking, every Christian is called by God to live their lives at home, in the community, at work, doing all things for His honor and for His glory, being an ambassador of Jesus Christ everywhere we go, when given the opportunity to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost, to the hurting, to the broken, and also to help in equipping and raising up disciples within the church. We are all called to that. So what I'm talking about with spiritual burnout is this, is that when we get so distressed by other things in life, by uh, ministry challenges, by life challenges, by family challenges, we have so much stress that we kind of poop out on our calling that God has given us. You tracking with me? We gas out. We got nothing left. I, I'm done. I quit. I resign. Now, burnout comes in all forms, but I'll begin with my own story. During my first couple years of ministry, I burned out. I was a youth pastor at the time, and I just came off a busy summer and uh, was, was pouring in to my, my teens a lot that summer, doing all this different ministry stuff, and I was doing a lot really in my own strength and in my own power. The, su- the end of the summer hit, and I had a whole new uh, season of youth ministry to begin as school was starting, and I was tired, I was exhausted, I was stressed, and I burned out. I fizzled. I was depressed. I hit rock bottom. I didn't have any energy. I couldn't work. I couldn't disciple people. I didn't want to open the Bible. I didn't want to see anybody. I was burned out. And on top of this, one of my key teens turned to drugs and alcohol. And then another one of my key teens, by the way, this is a boy and a girl. And if you remember youth ministry, if you've ever done youth ministry, you kind of need like a strong young man and a strong young lady to reach the other teens. These were my, this is my key dude and my key young woman. And she, uh, at the same time, said, I'm not coming back to youth group anymore. I'm tired of trying to change people. I give up. She burned out. And so then I burned out. Now, burnout comes, as, as I said, it comes in all forms. Over the years, I've seen people burn out over everything. You name it, they burned out. Youth leaders, I'm, I, I can't take youth ministry anymore. I'm, I'm burned out on youth ministry. Or I sing every Sunday at church and I'm just burned out. Or I can't disciple anybody, I'm, I'm, I'm burned out. That's inside the church. Or even outside of the church. Our, our relationships outside of the church can burn us out. I, I tried I tried changing this person and I'm just burned out. I've tried to share the gospel so many times and I've been rejected and I'm sick and tired of being rejected and I'm burned out. Burnout, spiritual burnout, is giving up on the calling that God has given you as a Christian. Now, we've got to be careful with this word burnout. I want to urge you to carefulness as we use this word burned out. Because, friends, you can be tired and in need of rest, but not burned out. You can be overworked and in need of 
pulling out of some things, but not actually burned out. You could be overwhelmed and forgetting some things and in need of some time management training and in need of reordering your values, but not actually burned out. Burned out is collapsing spiritually. Burned out is, is giving up. It's throwing in the towel, been there, done that, and I am not going back. We don't want to burn out. Now, comparing our burnout to Jeremiah's burnout, that's humbling. Like, I just shared you my story. If Jeremiah came up and he was like, well, Joel, let me tell you my story of burnout. Like, we burn out because we're tired of wiping our baby's butt. We burn out because we're tired of serving in the nursery. I just can't serve in the nursery once every three months I burned out. <laughs> Jeremiah, come on up, share your story, <laughs> Right? I don't want to make light of our burnout, but let's just pause for a moment and reflect on Jeremiah's life. One author explained his life in this way. He said, Jeremiah's life, not just a season, not just six months, not just six years, but his whole ministry life was, was comprised of this. He was laughed at. He was taunted. He was disbelieved. He was ostracized. He was isolated. He was physically threatened, he was beaten, he, he was accused falsely, and he had, uh, his, his life was plotted against him. Year after year after year after year. Now, where we're picking up right here in chapter 15, this is a, roughly, scholars believe, about 30 years into Jeremiah's ministry. This is most likely after the first invasion of Babylon. So Jeremiah, at this point where we're picking up, Jeremiah is really exhausted. Now, as I was kind of poking fun at us for our reasons for burnout, I don't want to make light of that. Because the reason for burnout is always the same. It's people and it's our circumstances. We have the same reason for burnout in our life as did Jeremiah. What are the stresses that lead to burnout? What are some things that we can be looking out for in our own soul to keep us from burning out on what God has called us to? Let me give you three stresses. Number one, letdown. Number two, loathing. I'll explain that to you. I just needed an L, and so I'm going to have to explain loathing to you. And number three, loneliness. Letdown, loathing, and loneliness. Listen, church, since people will always disappoint you, people will always, hoping in people, I should say, will always lead to your burnout. Since your circumstances will always disappoint you, hoping in your circumstances will always lead to your burnout. We could reverse this in a positive way. Since God will never disappoint you, hoping in God will lead to resilience in life and in ministry. That's what I want to focus on this morning as we consider 
spiritual burnout. Now, to understand Jeremiah's burnout, we have to understand chapter 14, which precedes his burnout in chapter 15. Chapter 14, if you look at it in your Bible, you could basically give chapter 14 the heading, It's Too Late. There's an encouraging message for you. You see why I grouped these two chapters together this morning. It's too late. That's really the focus of chapter 14. Uh, in, in sort of a light analogy, I would imagine like a parent with, who's disciplining a child and is going to spank the child, and the child's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I won't do it again. And the, and the parent says, it's too late. That's really what God is saying uh, to, to Israel, but it's a much more extreme punishment that's coming. What we see in chapter 14 is really this back and forth between Israel and God. God is basically saying, judgment is coming, it's too late, and Israel comes up with these lame confessions and apologies. Oh, I'm so sorry, we won't do it again. I want to explain it to you a little bit. Look at the first six verses. In, the, in 14, 1 through 6, we sort of set the stage. The stage is this, famine. The first Babylonian invasion has come. They are dying of thirst. There is a spiritual famine in the land, but that is also now uh, uh, resulted in a physical famine. They're dying. In verses 7 through 9, we see Israel's first lame confession. Let me show you why it's lame. First, it starts off okay. In verse 7, he says, they say, we have sinned against you. But then we get to the lame stuff. Like in verse 9, why should you, God, be like a man confused? Like a mighty warrior who cannot save? Yeah, we're in, you're in the midst of us. We're called by your name. Don't, don't leave us. They're putting the blame on God. Like with Babylon coming in, with our problems of thirst and starvation, God, why, why should you act like you can't save us? Why should you act like you're just sitting on your hands and, and that you're just some kind of warrior who can't do anything for your people? You see why that's a lame confession? Well, it goes on in verse 10 and 12. God rejects their confession and He says that judgment is coming. Jeremiah in verse 13 turns to God at this point and enters into the dialogue and Jeremiah says, but God, it's the prophet's problem. The prophets are lying to the people. The prophets are saying everything's fine. And the people are following them. I think what Jeremiah's doing is like, God, would you have, give some grace to the people? The prophets are lying. But don't you guys remember chapter 5, verse 31, where Jeremiah has already said the prophets lie and the people love it? They like following these wayward, lying pastors, preachers, prophets. And so God goes on to basically say, I'm going to judge the prophets as well, but I'm also holding the people responsible for allowing the prophets to mislead them and to abuse my word. So in verse 17 and 18, we see the extreme sorrow of judgment. This is God's sorrow. God is bringing judgment, yet it also brings some great sorrow to see His daughter suffer in such a way. In verses 19-22, through 22, we see the second lame confession. Again, they, they acknowledge their sin at first. In verse 20, they say, We acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord. 
But then they put the blame back on God. Look at verse 21. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember, and do not break your covenant with us. What are they saying? They're saying, God, yeah, we get that we're a sinner, but you made a covenant with us. Don't break this covenant, God. What have we already established in chapter 11, verses 1 through 4? Who broke the covenant? Thank you, Tony. Israel broke the covenant. It's already been broken. And they're putting the blame on God. Don't you see what's going on here? They don't take responsibility for their sin. We do this all the time. Like when I say something harsh to my wife and she's upset with me and I have to apologize, you know how I typically apologize and I, and I have to repent and figure out how to better apologize? I'm sorry. But if you... <laughs> or I say, I'm sorry if you felt that way about what I said. Who am I putting the blame on? Yeah, I'm passing the blame. That's not a legit apology. Why don't those apologies solve anything? It's because you didn't apologize, you fool. <laughs> You're passing the blame. We don't like to take responsibility for our sin. We got to learn to apologize to each other so that we can learn how to apologize to God and stop putting the blame on Him for our sin. And so then as a result of this, in chapter 15, the first nine verses, God rejects their apology. He says, pestilence is coming. The sword is coming. Famine is coming. Verse 3, I will appoint over them four kinds of destroyers. Like, this is ugly stuff. Now, this is all what leads to Jeremiah's burnout in, chapter, or in verse 10 of chapter 15. Jeremiah just throws in the towel for a minute. At this point, after 30 years or so of ministry, at this point, after he's already seen the first invasion of Babylon, he knows more is coming. He just says, I quit. I resign. I can't go on. I want to point out some of these stress factors in Jeremiah's life that led to his own burnout so that we might learn from them, so that we might turn from looking at our circumstances and our people and turn to the Lord. I also want to give props to Alec Motier. His, his, his commentary on Jeremiah is wonderful. And his explanation of what Jeremiah was going through was extremely helpful for me. I commend his commentary to you as we work through this book. Three L's. Do you get those L's? Three L's that lead to burnout. Three things that, that were stress factors in Jeremiah's life. The first one was let down. He was let down. He didn't think this is the way things were going to go. He, you know, it, it's got to feel good at first to be called by God to be a prophet, and then after 30 years of this, oh, that's not what I thought. I don't know if I like this calling. And it's, it's a wrong view of our calling. Let down in ministry 
and in life. I remember when I was doing my first ever uh, ministry event. I was in college, and I led this big fall festival, and, and we were going to do this huge outreach, and it was going to be amazing, and, and I got a car show, and I got booths and food, and there was a clown and a magician, and like a lot of stuff, stuff for kids. So we took over the whole campus. We had this a massive fall festival. The only problem was I forgot to promote it. I didn't realize, like, you have to tell people in the community that you're doing something. And so the day came, and we had, you know, the, the, the caramel apples were out, and nobody came. Everybody's looking at me. What'd you do to promote this? <laughs> do what? <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I was so, I was ashamed. I felt like a failure. People were angry with me who came and gave a lot of time, money. I got in my car. It was a, uh, what, what year was that? A 2002 Chrysler, white Chrysler LeBaron. No, it was an 80. It was an old white Chrysler LeBaron with the top down. That's all I remember. I got in my car and I drove off campus and I thought, I'm just going to keep driving all the way to Ohio. I'm going home. <laughs> you guys ever experienced letdown? Like you think something's going to go this way with this individual that you're working with and it just doesn't? And you're let down? Well, look at Jeremiah's letdown in verse 10. For him, it's regret that he was ever even born. Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. Jeremiah wishes he was never born. This is akin to someone who's burned out saying, I hate my life. I hate the very, my very existence. I don't like the life that I am called by God to live, and I wish that he had a different calling me. I wish it was different. I wish it was easier. I wish it had less shame and less failure. And then in verse 11, we see God's gentle rebuke. God says, have I not set you free for their good? Have I not pleaded for you before the enemy in the time of trouble and the time of distress? Meaning, God is up to something. God is there. God, God, God is, 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 is with Jeremiah. God is working in Jeremiah. And he goes on to explain that something is about to happen. Like, God has a purpose for him. He made it in the Bible, actually. Do you know how many people have been benefited from Jeremiah's ministry? If you say Jeremiah's ministry bore no fruit, you are wrong. It just didn't bear fruit when he thought it should bear fruit. But God had a plan for Jeremiah's life, and God is up to something. The remedy for letdown is to know that God is at work in the chaos. Number one, stop trying to change people. Stop taking on the responsibility of your enemies, Jeremiah. Stop looking at the people 
Stop, stop tr- trying to figure out how to, how to change your enemy or how to change the person that you love. And number two, know that God is up to something. God has a plan. God is at work. And so trust Him with these people. Trust Him with this search, situation, with these circumstances. Secondly, loathing. Here's my loathing one, alright? We don't use the word loathing enough, do we? What I mean by that is loathing those who do hurt you. Resentment. Bitterness. Because you've been rejected. I read recently that rattlesnakes, when cornered, bite themselves. This is what bitterness does. When we feel cornered in life, we begin to hurt ourselves. We are acidic. You know, acid ruins both what it's poured onto and it ruins the vessel. And bitterness and resentment, this stuff eats away at our core as we are angry with others. Think think of like a... Think of a doctor who's trying to change this person. He's trying to help this patient. And the patient continues to ignore his remedy and ignore his counsel and his advice and comes to him every month and he's worse and worse and worse. And the doctor turns from a love for this patient trying to help him to hatred. And the patient comes in for that visit and the doctor's got his gun ready. (laughs) Take another step. This is what I mean by, like, we're, we're, we're working with people, we're helping people, we're trying to do good, yet people are rejecting it and us, and as a result, our perceived love for somebody can easily turn to hatred. I tried to reach out, I tried to disciple that person, they spoke poorly of me, I hate them. Did you ever love them? Those are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Now, Jeremiah, look at verse 15. He clearly has enemies. And and here in this case, actually, I think Jeremiah has the right response. He says, O Lord, remember me, visit me, take vengeance on my persecutors. Now, we don't use those words typically, but that's a fine prayer to say. What Jeremiah is doing is he's putting the situation in God's hands, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. He's turning his enemies over to God. And then we can go on to the better prophet, Jesus Christ, and we see not only does God turn over the situation to the Father, but, God, but, but Jesus also has a heart, a posture of forgiveness toward His enemies. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, rejected by all, what does He say? Father, forgive them. Now these are the people nailing His hands into the cross. He's not reconciled with them. They're not going out for tea afterward. But he has this posture of forgiveness toward this individual. And it's his, pr- it's his dying prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jeremiah entrusts the situation to God. And then in verse 16, is one of my favorite verses in the book. He says, your words were found. Remember we talked about the scroll being found, the Scriptures? I think that's what he's referring to. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became, meaning they weren't always, but they became to me a joy and a delight 
of my heart. Oh, that that was every one of our prayers in the middle of persecution. I hear what people are saying. I hear and feel the rejection. But God, Your words became for me joy and a delight. You know what I ate for breakfast? I didn't eat people's praise and I didn't eat what people think of me or people's criticism. I ate the Word of God for breakfast. That's my sustenance. The remedy for loathing those who hurt us is to know that God has the power to put things right and that God's Word is enough for us. Number three, let me briefly talk about loneliness. Loneliness in the world is a powerful influencer toward spiritual burnout. Loneliness is essentially the wrong view of the role of people in your life and of acceptance. Here in verse 17 and 18, we see Jeremiah's own loneliness and he gets a little mouthy with God at this point. He deserves like a little slap. Let me show it to you. Look at verse 17. He says, I didn't sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me. You had filled me with indignation. Like because of what you've done, because of the calling that's on my life, because I have to be a Christian, because I have to submit my life to your will, because of all of these things, God, I sat alone at the lunch table. My friends who I had rejected me. He's alone in this world and he's feeling it. This is a contributor to why he is regretting the fact that he was even born. But not only does he feel alone in this world, he feels alone spiritually, and this is where he gets a little mouthy. In verse, 19, uh, verse 18, the last two lines there, he says, Will you be to me like a deceitful brook? Like waters that fail? This is a question he's asking. Like, God, are you going to also abandon me? Are you also going to be like a brook that doesn't actually come, it doesn't produce any water? You're not really going to be there for me. Jeremiah, I believe, is feeling extremely lonely in this world. He's, he's feeling abandoned not just by the people, but by the God that he has been called to serve. Now God, in verse 20 comforts Jeremiah. Look at the last two lines of verse 20. He just simply says this, I am with you. I am with you to save you and to deliver you. Jesus is with you when nobody else is. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's lonely. Yes, you feel like, like you've been abandoned in this world because of your, your, your obedience to Jesus Christ. Yes, you feel that betrayed, good word, and that God Himself has betrayed you. But know this, Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I am with you always to the end of the age. The final remedy for burnout is found in verse 18, or verse 19. 
want to close with this verse. In verse 19, God looks at Jeremiah and He calls him to repent. Now isn't that funny? Let's pause for a moment. I thought burnout is caused by my external circumstances or people. No. Burnout is caused because of the sinfulness of our own heart. Don't you see that what's, what, what Jeremiah's issues are really is issues of his heart? The remedy, the ultimate remedy for burnout then is, is not a change of your external circumstances, but it's a change of your heart. Look what God says in verse 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you. If you return, this means that Jeremiah has actually slipped away for a moment. If you return, Jeremiah, I'm going to bring restoration, all of the restoration that you need in your life. And you shall stand before me. Think of that. In the presence of God, your face toward Him, His face toward you. He goes on, if you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, meaning stop all this worthless stuff about uh, how you wish you were never born. Stop all your worthless complaining. Stop just talking about how bad your life is. If you start uttering what is precious, what is precious? Oh, the blessings that we have in Christ. The spiritual riches that are ours. Our inheritance in heaven and eventually in this world as all things are made new. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. That He, though being God, humbled Himself to become your Savior. That Christ died on the cross for your sins. He took on His own body the punishment that was yours. He died in your place. And for all who turn from their sins and trust in Him, you have the promise that you're forgiven of your sins. One day freed from even the presence of sin. Raised to new life, living forever with God. Jeremiah, utter what is precious. The Word of God. The truths of God. He says, then, or I'm sorry, they shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. There's a little glimmer of hope right there, isn't there? In the middle of all of this rejection, in the middle of the punishment that is coming, in the middle of all the chaos of His circumstances, the problems with His people, God is saying, I want you to keep your face looking in My direction. And I want you to know that eventually they're going to turn to you but you don't turn to them. Burnout comes, church, when we turn to people. Resilience looks like keeping our face turned toward God. It was Palm Sunday. Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem. You know, everybody's throwing down palms Everybody's praising Him. Hosanna. Oh, it had to be, it would be a wonderful like, worship experience. He was a celebrity in this moment. Yet he was, he was not all pumped up on what people thought of Him. He was just resolute with His mission. 
Like if it was me, I would have been like, oh my goodness, they love me. <laughs> Did you see, like I'd be in my hotel room looking out. Everybody's out there. Got like 3,000 likes on my Instagram. Everything. I just put a selfie. Wow, they're just like liking it like crazy. Everybody wants a selfie with me. They're buying my stuff, which I don't have anything yet, but I'm going to produce it because they love me. Right? Jesus didn't get hyped up on that stuff. It's because he wasn't looking at them. Don't you see? I mean, not in that sense. He wasn't looking for their approval. He wasn't looking for their praise in that sense. Because Jesus knew that as soon as these cultural ties turn, what are these people going to do? What are they going to shout? Crucify him. Good Friday is coming. Jesus was resolute on his mission. And listen, Jesus never burned out. When his friends turned against him, he didn't burn out. When he was betrayed by his own, he didn't burn out. When his right-hand man denied him because of fear of man, Jesus didn't burn out. He didn't burn out when the Pharisees tried to trip him up, trip him up and falsely accused him that led to his arrest. He didn't burn out when he stood before Pilate and Pilate refused to defend him, to protect him, and Pilate turned him over to cruci for crucifixion. He never burned out, did he? And when Jesus was in the garden and tempted by Satan to, to get out of it, to run, to resign, Jesus never burned out. Don't get me wrong, he was stressed. He felt the pressure. He was exhausted, but he wasn't burned out. He never walked away from his call. And even when he asked, Father, if there's any other way possible, and that word came back, nope. He never burned out. And he walked straight to the cross on that Good Friday. And he died in our place. Thank God he never burned out. For you and for I, he was faithful to his mission. Friends, Jeremiah... Is, is feeling and bearing the shame and the reproach of the nation. Jesus, in a much greater way, the greater prophet, he bore the shame and the reproach for a people. Amen. On our behalf, he took it on himself, all the judgment that we deserve. He bore every bit of it. He wasn't just the prophet that declared it. He was the prophet that took it. And he took it for you, and he took it for me. The Father has called us to a mission. The mission is to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. To represent Him in the world. To declare His message in the world. You know what else He's given us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us and gifts us. We don't go into this mission on our own. But we go with the power and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. But do you know what the Holy Spirit also is? He's a comforter. We need a comforter on this mission. Because when things get hard, 
And when we feel these temptations and these pressures to burn out, we need the comfort that only the Holy Spirit can give to keep us on this mission so that we might stay focused on this race, so that we might keep running, so that we might win. Friends, represent Jesus Christ. That's your calling. Face Him. Keep your face turned toward Him. Don't turn your face to the people and the problems that are around you. Keep your face turned towards Him. When people fail you, face Him. When you fail yourself and you know that you should have promoted that event, but you didn't, face Him. And when it feels like you've been given more than you can bear, face Him. Pick up your cross Face Him and follow after Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have given us every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. We thank You for the riches, the riches that are ours. God, I pray for those in this church who have a lot of external challenges, problems, whether at work, whether with people, family issues. God, I pray that we will recognize the difference between being tired and in need of rest, being overworked and in need of reorganizing some things, and being burned out spiritually. I pray, God, that we will never spiritually burn out, that we will never forsake the call that you have given us as Christians to be salt and light in this world, to be representatives of Jesus Christ, And I pray, God, that we will face Him, that we will look to Christ, and in Him we will find everything that we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.